Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. You know, when when your mom does part of the children's sermon, you become part of the uh, message involved. Aren't you glad that you weren't ever a preacher's kid or that you weren't ever one of those those people whose moms or dads would, would go ahead and share everything that was going on with everybody else? Well, if you lived in Navasota, that did happen, didn't it? All righty. That's what we're going to be talking this morning about relationships. Everyone in this room has a relationship with at least one person. You've got a relationship. Some of you are sitting with that person this morning. Some of you aren't, but everyone in here has has formed relationships with folks. Now, listen, we're going to be talking about growing healthy relationships in an unhealthy world. Growing healthy relationships in a place that is not necessarily healthy to have relationships. Um, You are created by God to, to form relationships. You're created by God to form relationships. The Bible shares that when God created Adam, uh, he used the word, well, the the Hebrew word for for man is the word, we've we've talked about this before, the Hebrew word for man is ish. Uh, If you you wanted to transliterate that out to English, it would be I-S-H. The word for woman is ish-ah. There is a, a, a suffix that is added to it. And, and what it literally means, and that's what, that's what Adam says in, in the Genesis Chronicle. <clears throat> he says, that one looks a lot like me as compared to all of the other animals that I've been naming, but with some really great modifications to the original uh, owner's manual that God created. And there was a relationship that God saw that we needed to have with with other human beings and guys listen to me the whole point of having healthy relationships is so that we have a healthy relationship with one another and that begins to model the relationship that God wants us to have with him that feeds both ways God wants our relationship to be healthy with him so that we'll have healthy relationships with others but he also wants us to have healthy relationship with others so that we will learn how to have a healthy relationship with him. It is symbiotic, and it, it, there's a synchronicity in it that will, that will bond us to God and to one another. And how you have healthy relationships is, is difficult because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is far from perfect, and, and our fallen world is the type of world that continually grabs you and me and pulls us to something else other than relationships. I shared with you a few weeks ago about going to a restaurant with Stacy and Caitlin. And we're at this restaurant, and I like to watch people. I mean, people are funny. I don't necessarily like to go ahead and have to engage them and talk with them, but I'll watch them all day long. Matter of fact, if you take me to Kyle Field and you stick me with a bunch of Aggies, I will sit there as the happy only SMU person there, and I'll just watch you all. I'll watch you all buy a perfectly good seat and never sit in it, okay? I have no idea why Aggies do that, 
But they do. And I'll just watch the people. Here's what we saw the other day at a restaurant. Two, a, a couple, a guy and a gal, and I checked their fingers. They're not, they weren't wearing wedding rings. And they're sitting there. They're obviously out together. They're obviously out on a date. And as they're sitting there on this date, this is what they are doing. And about that time, one of them started laughing. And instead of looking up and saying, here's what was so funny that I just saw on my cell phone, she said, wait a minute. And she sent it to him. Now, she is from me to that glass of water. God's relationships are things we work at. And, and we live in a fallen world, and part of the fallen world can be devices. These are great things. These are wonderful things. They help us connect with people. But we find that these things are actually keeping us from connecting face-to-face with people, and instead we just do all of our business electronically. Guys, that's deadly when, it, when if you're going to have a meaningful conversation with folks, you don't do it by texting. You, you can do it by looking a person in the face. But in a fallen world, that is, that is used by Satan to pull us farther and farther from each other and farther and farther from God. Guys, we live in a fallen world that doesn't want us to develop healthy relationships. And you and I have to decide. We, we are deciding to live with healthy relationships, and it is a key to sharing Christ in our fallen world. You have to make a choice, healthy or unhealthy relationships. The Bible shares that this can be done in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. They were by any measure, this church was by any measure, the favorite of the Apostle Paul. When he writes this church, he does not say one thing that they have as an Can you imagine going to a church and there are no issues in the church? I mean, here, we're going to, we're, okay, we're going to have some fun today. Um, is this carpet the color that you would have chosen in your house? This is yes, this is no, this is please get the sermon going, Clyde, all right? Help me out and I'll go faster. Is this the color you would want in your house? Yes or no? All those that want this, no? Does this keep you from worshiping God? Listen, carpets is to be walked on and pew cushions are to be sat on. And yet I was a part of a church back in the 1980s that argued like nobody's business because of the color of the carpet, the color of the pew cushions, and the fact they did not match the choir robes. Relationships. They are messy. They are messy stuff. You and I have to make, we have to make a decision that we're going to go ahead and have healthy relationships. When Paul writes about this church in Philippi, and he says, look, you have so many things that are, that are so wonderful about you. And one of them is the relationships that you all have with each other. We're going to go ahead and look in God's Word this morning. It's found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're all going to read God's Word together. Let me invite you to read with me. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day even until now, being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. One of the keys to having healthy relationships is the ability to give thanks to God. The ability to give thanks to God. In other words, you have the ability to thank God for the people that are in your life. Think about that. Now, I'm not just talking about the ones you get along with. It's pretty easy to go ahead and thank God for the folks that you do like and that like you. I'm talking about all of them. Giving thanks for every person that's in your life. How can you do that? Well, let me share with you one way that you can you can kind of get a, a grip around that. First of all, is when you see someone, for instance, if I see if I see my friend Randy over here, okay, Randy really came this morning wanting to be picked on and used as a sermon example. But I see Randy over there and I think of all the things that I know about Randy. Randy is a is a studio quality musician. He is a, a gifted businessman. I, I look at I look at at Randy and I think of these things for him, but I rarely go ahead and say, hey, you know what, God, thank you so much that you gave Randy the ability to play guitar better than anybody that I know. Thank you for that. Because he's using that gift to go ahead and share it with all of us on a Sunday morning. I rarely do that. But one of the ways that you and I can go ahead and form healthy relationships is to give thanks for the people that God has put in your life. Give thanks for them. Now, not only give thanks to God for the people in your life, but if you read in verse 3, it says, every, Paul writes this, these words. He says, every time I remember you, I give thanks. Well, let me ask you this. Do you do that when you see someone? When you see your mom or your dad or your, your kids or a next-door neighbor, it's the first thing that comes to your mind. God, I'm thankful for that person. Most of the time, we get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. And that tyranny of the urgent keeps us from giving thanks to God. The tyranny of the urgent is that thing that says, oh, by the way, you don't have time for that. Don't, get, don't have time right now to give thanks for that person. Right now, you have got to get to the doctor's appointment. Right now, the pastor has to get the sermon done because the little boys and girls are going to be heading off to camp. And if he doesn't get it done in time, then they're going to be behind for the entire time. Can I get an amen, all of y'all going to camp? Yep. Thank you for that. Here's the deal. The tyranny of the urgent robs us of the ability to form healthy relationships. How do you do that? Give thanks. There's no better way to go ahead and set your heart right than to say thank you. It's one of the most important things that you and I can learn is how to thank God in every situation. Now, this isn't pie-in-the-sky type of, of unicorns and sparkle ponies of the view of the world. 
It is the understanding that God has placed you here at this time, at this very moment, in this very situation. God has set the appointment for your life. And you can give thanks in that, and you can give thanks for the folks that are around you in the midst of that appointment that God has made. One of the most important things that moms and dads can share with the little boys and girls that are growing up in their household is how to say thank you. How to say thank you. There is one little girl that was in our that is in our church that growing up, and she grew up in our church, mom and dad are members here, and I would sit there and look at her and tease her unmercifully when I'd see her because she was, she was not shy, she was determined. Have you ever met a kid that will look at you and, and you can sit there and, and spend all kinds of attention on Hey, how are you doing? How's my little girl this morning? And they look at you like, you're not getting a thing out of me. Nothing. Have you ever met kids like that? They are difficult, aren't they? They really are. They're not difficult to love, but you keep wanting to break through that barrier. Here's how the barrier got broken through with this particular little girl. She was looking at me one morning, and I started laughing, laughing at her, and she, start, she gave me what is, look, every, every woman, learn, there's a class where they learn to go ahead and get a particular look that they will use for the rest of their lives on situations in men who upset them to some degree or another. It's called the stink eye, okay? We know that. There's a guy course that we don't tell you women about in high school where we learn how to deal with stink eye. Stink eye is this, where they look at you and they are doing this. And you know you're in trouble. And I started kind of giggling about this little girl, and she looks at me, and I said, I am going to get you. And she usually would hide behind mom. And it was here in the sanctuary, and I've got to tell you this, running in church, I... The older I get, running in church should not happen because they're going to trip people like me now, okay? But I decided I was going to go have some fun with this little girl. And so I looked at her, and I I said, I am going to get you. And she looked around for her mom, and mom wasn't there. And she looked around for her brother, and brother was over here. And she looked around for her sister, and sister was over here. And so she looked at me. And she thought, I'm going to give him the look that will stop him in his tracks. And it just made me giggle more. And so I said, I'm going to get you now. And I started after her. And she stopped, and then she, then she took off. And halfway through, she made the lap from right here. And she went to Archie. She went all the way back where you are. And she cut behind the pew. And she knew she was faster than me. And so I started down there, and I cut her off. And she was barreling down this pew, and I got right in front of her, and I said, I've got you. And she shrieked and laughed. The preacher is chasing her. Let me share with you what came out of that. I now get high fives from this little girl. But the most important thing I got from her was one day up here when we were doing the very thing, Heron, that you were doing a few minutes ago, which was a children's sermon, and I had candy, and I said, I want you to give these Hershey's Kisses out to everybody. Oh, by the way, you get one too. And I handed them out. And this little girl who has said no word to me in the entire time that she has been alive looks at me and says, thank you. Thank you. God, let me share with you. 
If you're going to build healthy relationships, it doesn't mean chasing people in the sanctuary or church. It means the ability to, that you can go ahead and say thank you, not just to that person, but also to God for that person. Give thanks for the people that are in your life. There's no better way to go ahead and set your heart right than to do that. The second thing that you can do in giving thanks is remember to give thanks for them and then thanks because of them. Okay, so giving thanks for people. Paul's really clear about that. He writes about it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. But can you give thanks? Let me ask you all a question. Can you give thanks to God for ungodly people? This is yes, this is no. How many of you all believe we can give thanks to God for ungodly people? Hold your hand up. We give thanks to How many of you all think, I'm not going to give thanks to God for ungodly people? Anybody? All right. It is really difficult to give thanks to God for anybody when we focus on ourselves. Having healthy relationships means we look outward, not inward, for the solution to the problem. God ends up going ahead and putting people in your life and mine that begin to teach us about not them but ourselves. It is important that we give thanks for people but also give thanks because of people, because of people that sometimes injure us and hurt us in an unhealthy relationship. Remember the fallen world we live in? Guys, listen, there are going to be people that will, it will happen this week. They will do something that will be destructive even, even, either in their life or to you, and the splatter effect will somehow be on you. And rather than go ahead and say, I hate it when people do that. I absolutely hate it when somebody does the wrong thing and I end up getting part of the blame or it ends up falling back and, and someone I love is injured because of the wrong actions of someone else. And you can go on and on and on. Listen to me. God wants you to be able to go ahead and give thanks even for folks that are ungodly. Because by teaching you and me how an ungodly person interacts with godly folks, how an ungodly person can sometimes, that sin can splatter all over everybody who are bystanders, some of them even innocent bystanders. Guys, listen to me. It teaches you and me about God's grace. You remember what grace is, okay? Grace means what? What does grace mean? Getting better than you deserve. That's grace. Grace means I get better than, than I deserve. And when we have folks that are ungodly and we give thanks for them, we end up going ahead and sharing and extending to them grace. Give thanks for ungodly people that are in your life because God is going to use them as not only a signpost so that you know, hey, God, thank you for not, for, thank you so much for, for loving me enough that, that I used to be like that, and, and maybe now I'm not as that way anymore. And it's not, it's not spiritual arrogance. It's the ability to go ahead and say, God, I'm grateful that your grace has brought me out of that and made me to a better place. And oh, by the way, God, would you please extend that same grace to those folks? Now, this is different than the story of Jesus talking about about the religious man who was standing there giving, having a prayer and saying, God, I am so grateful that I am not like that guy over there. That's not what it is. 
giving thanks is saying to God, God, thank you for everyone that you have put in my life because it is drawing me closer to you. That's that, that vertical relationship that God is developing through the horizontal. Now, flipping that around, remember to give thanks for them and because of them will also go ahead and help you extend grace to them. Grace is that thing that we give to others whether they deserve it or not. The second thing that you and I ought to be doing is praying for our relationships. Praying for the people that are in your life. Prayer is not only asking God to intercede, but God uses prayer as a tool to change you and me from where we are now to where He wants us to be. I want you to look back in verses 9 through 11. Paul writes these words. He says, look, I want you to know that you may... that." that you are prayed for, that you may grow in love with one another. Why would Paul pray this over a church that was growing and going great? Let me share with you a little bit about the Philippian church. While Paul is writing these things and saying what a great church it is, within the next 200 years, that church, as we read about it in Paul's letter to the Philippians, is gone. It's gone. Why do churches die? They can die because the gospel is not preached. They can die because the Spirit of God is no longer in their midst. They can die because of circumstances surrounding the church. They can be in an area that is unhealthy to grow in. There are a number of reasons churches can die. This one was gone within within 200 years of the writing of this letter. It is gone. Why then, if Paul is writing these words about healthy things, It could be that he saw some relationships that were beginning to fragment and he's trying to encourage them not to let that happen. Guys, listen to me. We come into this building right here to worship God. If you're coming in to see your friends, while that might be good, we come in here to worship God only. Ross shared just a minute ago to go ahead and turn off the electronics, to get rid of that stuff so that you're not distracted, not from a pastor, but from God. There are so many things that try to jerk our attention away. And that relationship that God wants you and I to have is a relationship that has to be centered around giving thanks to Him and then the ability to pray for the people that are in your life. Now, how do you pray for folks that are in your life? What do you pray for them about? It's interesting that when we talk about this and we look in, the, in, in Philippians 1, chapter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Paul not only says that you may grow in love with one another, but he also says, I pray for you that you will continue on. That you're not just going to go ahead and say, yep, we all love each other, that's great, and that's as far as we go. He says he wants to go ahead and, and have us move past that. And the quickest way to change a bad relationship to good is to pray that God will bless that person. All right, do not raise your hand on this. How many of you all in here have someone that right now you're fussing at? If you have that person, you you have a fuss, an ongoing fuss with them, just simply smile. Look at all the teeth and the dentures. Look at all of them, all right? Um, Virtually everybody in in this room has someone that at one time or another we may or may not get along with. When we have a bad relationship, an unhealthy relationship, one of the ways to change that relationship 
is to go ahead and pray that God will bless that person. Now, Heron, a few minutes ago, gave those little cards out to the kids and said, I want you to think of somebody that you love, that you have a relationship that you love, and I want you to write them a little note or draw them a picture or something. Here's what I want you to do. Think of someone right now that you you have to interact with, but you don't like. You have to, but you don't like. Might be personality, might be the fact that they are in a position that they have influence in your life, but they, they have some kind of interaction, and you really don't like to have to interact with them. All right, everybody got one? Good. Here we go. Um, most of us have someone like that. Now, how many times, thinking of that person, have you thanked God for them? How many times have you thanked God for that person? Most of the time, when we pray for them, it sounds more like this. God, will you please stomp Andy into a mud hole. Okay, that's how we pray for people that are that are problem people in our lives. Stomp them into a mud hole. The problem with that, folks, is that we deserve to be in the mud hole as much as they do. It's just a perspective. You and I go ahead and think about bad relationships and how they ought to be settled. And when we pray to God about that and praying for a difficult person, most of the time we pray, God, would you change them so that they quit being like they are and to be more like me? And guys, the problem is when we pray for folks, we ought to be praying that they become more and more like God and less and less like themselves. And oh, by the way, we ought to be praying the same thing for each of us as well. God, help me to be less about the importance of me and more about the importance of you. If you want a healthy relationship, pray for folks that are difficult. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will bless difficult people that are in your life, whether you have an intimate relationship with them or not, whether you are daily in contact with them or not. Pray for them. The Bible says that Paul says, pray with joy and desire, not because you're forced to. You should choose to pray out of a desire to grow towards God and that what you would do would honor Him. Being forced to do, listen, being forced to do any spiritual thing is servile. It's deadly and it is of no value. If you are forced, look, if you feel compelled to pray for a person that you don't like this morning because the pastor said you ought to do that, then that isn't of God. That's not of God. You and I are to follow what the Spirit of God tells us to do. And guys, listen to me. One of the things is when we pray for somebody, instead of praying for God, just bless them and try. Okay, I'm supposed to bless them. And God, would you please bless them and would you help them to get better and amen, and that's all I'm going to pray for them for the time being. Guys, it's more than that. Pray that God will reveal himself to them, that he will draw that person to himself. And oh, by the way, he may choose to use you as part of that job of drawing them to himself. Would you be willing to do that for a person that you don't like? Pray with joy and desire. So how do you pray for others that are in a relationship? First of all, you pray that they will grow. A grown person isn't a two-year-old and shouldn't act like one. Praying for others to grow doesn't mean that they will see things your way. It means that you make sure that their prayers would be, that your prayer would be that they grow to be God's way, not your way. Now, parents, anybody in here that's a parent, this is for you. Have you picked out or did you pick out a particular vocation you wanted your child to go ahead 
and enter into. Joe, did you want your daughter to be a lawyer? You tried to not to. Sir, you failed. She's a good, she's a good, good attorney. All right? Linda, did you pray that, that your daughter would uh, not become a lawyer? Did you want her to not become? You failed too. Complete failure, okay, on those two lawyers' part. By the way, if you're a lawyer and you're a parent and your child goes into law and reads the law and sits for the bar exam, you're not a failure, okay? But we have ideas of what our kids ought to be. Caitlin wants to be a veterinarian. Uh, Paul, Paul Schmidt was kind enough to take her take her down, and Don, you did, you did as well, kind of encouraged her that if she's interested in veterinary sciences, come, in, and, and come by there and, and shadow for a day. And Caitlin got to go in and see a particular procedure that Paul did on, on a particular dog, and it was a male dog, and the male dog walked in a male dog, and he walked out. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Cringe, man, cringe. Caitlin goes in there, and she comes home, and I'm thinking, okay, she's little, you know. She's, she's not going to like the blood and gore and everything. She said, oh, it was so cool. I have in my mind what she's going to become. She's going to be a veterinarian. She is going to go to college, and then she's going to go to Auburn Veterinary School. Auburn, Florida. And if she can't get in there, maybe A&M, all right? Teasing folks. It's a joke. Relax. She actually has decided she wants to go to Texas A&M as an undergraduate. I have failed, too, in my job to get her to go to SMU. Guys, listen, if you have your desire of what you think your kids ought to do, praying for them to grow, to be like what you want them to to be, is not what God wants. He wants you to pray that they will grow to become what He wants them to become. Oh, by the way, that's the same prayer you ought to have for yourself selfishly. God, grow me to be the person you want me to be so that when I have relationships with other, when I form deep friendships with other folks, I'm going to be focusing not on my gain, but on God's gain. Everything we do as Christ follower ought to be pointed to that. You pray for folks. Pray that they will grow. Pray that they will know and understand right choices. Most of us this morning have already made choices that affect your day. You chose to come to church. You may choose in a few minutes what you're going to eat. You may choose who to hang out with today. Making right choices means that they are right in God's eyes, not our own. And having a healthy relationship means you and I are looking out for God's interests before our own. If you want a healthy relationship, it means you're looking out for what God wants out of that relationship, not what we gain alone. Want to have a healthy relationship? See what God wants out of that relationship. Most of us in here, most of us in here like to win. Have you ever played a game, a board game or anything like that? Cards? No, you're Baptist. You can't play cards. Um, A board game like Monopoly. How many of you all in this room have played Monopoly? Okay. All right. Somewhere in your life. All right. When you're playing Monopoly and you get boardwalk and park place and you get two hotels because you're not reading the directions, you put two hotels on there instead of just one and you multiply uh, the factor by two 
to, to go ahead and knock your, te- your, your, your competitors out. How many of you all, when you're playing a game like that, your sole desire is to win? Anybody in here want to be honest? Okay, we've got, we've got about 50 honest people. The rest of you all are liars and need to come forward and be saved, all right? All right, let me put it to you this way. How many of you all, when you get into an argument, and I'm not talking about a, a fuss, throw things, that kind of thing, argument in the classic sense of the deal. I disagree. This is an Aggie over here. I am not an Aggie. He and I start talking about college football, and he comes in and says, hey, how's that conference old SMU is in? <laughs> and I said, how many championships has A&M won since they've been in the SEC? And we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And as I know Jeff... Jeffrey's over there goes, Clyde, I've got something that will trump your argument right now. And as he's sitting there doing that, and we're arguing back, my goal is to win the argument. Do you all like to win arguments? One of the deadly deadly things to relationships is when we say we want to win more than we want to go ahead and see the relationship resolved. And so what you end up happening is this. Let's say it's an argument in our relationship about college football. It's coming up. A&M's going to have a great team this year. SMU, not so much. And as we're sitting there arguing about the merits of our two schools, all of a sudden he says something to me that irks me and grinds me, and I go ahead and get offended. He says, yeah. He says, well, Clyde, weren't you there during the time where SMU was playing all those players? and ended up getting the death penalty. And I will say, yes, Jeff, and I walked on the football team, and I never saw a single dollar of all that money that was being handed out. And he kind of is over there grinning. And then I start going, you know what? You, and I've changed it from the topic of college football, and now it becomes a personal attack. Many times when you and I go ahead and argue in a relationship, what we do is we get off of what the topic is and we get into the personal attack. Well, you did this. And then we pull stuff out from the back. And you used to do this. And it becomes a personal attack rather than solving the issue for the relationship. That's what, what it means when we go ahead and ask that God grow us to know and understand right choices so that we don't listen to me. We don't have to win. God wins. When you and I have a right relationship with someone else, God wins. And oh, by the way, you will win too because that relationship will begin to honor God instead of being selfishly enclosed in your own desires. The last thing that that God wants us to do to have healthy relationships in an unhealthy world is to love the people in your life, to thank God for the people in your life, to pray for the people in your life, and then to love the people in your life. Verse 8 says these words, I long in love and affection for you in Jesus Christ. Your love for others in a relationship has to start with Jesus' love for you. If you're going to learn to love people in relationships, you have to start by understanding God's love for you. Please hear this this morning. Understand this this morning. God loves you right as you are. Whether you are a, a, a absolute church member that goes to Sunday school, you're here every time the church doors are open, 
God doesn't count that as you being better than somebody who doesn't. God doesn't even count that better as you, as you better as someone who doesn't even believe or trust in Him right now. God has an overwhelming love for all of His creation. And when He loves you exactly as you are, flawed and fallen as we are, the Bible says He demonstrated that love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God loves you. It's the first thing that you and I have to know. We demonstrate and replicate God's love for us with others. Do you love difficult people and pray for them? Or do you just love those folks and pray for those folks that are like you and agree with you? I can share with you that learning to love others is so much easier when I understand how much God has loved me and gave what he had to give in order to love you and me. I can go ahead and develop relationships then based not on my capacity to love them, but on the capacity of seeing that person as God sees them and as God loves them. That's the part where we understand that love in this case is transferred. It is not translated. The love God has for you and me is transferred to others. It is not translated. I don't take the love that God has for me and say, well, let me think how I'm going to love that person over there. And I'm going to love them a little bit if they do this, for, if they do this, if they act this way, if they say these things, if they go ahead and agree with me. That's a conditionalized love. God's love for you and me is absolute. It is stamped and it is final. And you and I are called to trans, not translate that love, but transfer that love. It is an all-accepting love. Please hear this. Hear this. Do not miss this this morning. We have folks that are in our community and in, in our lives that are living destructively. They can have addictions. They can be folks that are living way outside the fence line that God has of righteous living. You may be that person this morning. You may know people that are like that. Understand this. God loves them. And your love for them has to be trans transferred, not translated. In other words, you don't go and try to tell them how much God loves them. You simply show them how much God loves them. We live in a world right now that our culture demands that you accept every form of of biblical sin imaginable. Our culture right now says that we are not to be biased against folks that are living in sin. We're not to go ahead and be biased about folks that choose a, a what is nice and, and affirmatively said an alternate lifestyle. Let me share with you what the Bible says about an alternate lifestyle. It says it's sin. It's sin. And for the very thing that that you and I can discuss here in the great state of Texas as sin, a pastor was arrested out in California for saying that homosexuality was sin. He was arrested. It was listed as hate speech. Hate speech. It was affirmed by an appellate court, and then it was bumped up to the California Supreme Court. And they found that this pastor had every right to go ahead and preach what the Bible said. Now while we all can give an amen for that, folks, do you realize that God's Word says that we are to love folks that are living in sin in the same way that God loved us while we were yet in sin? We're to love them. 
How do you love somebody that is doing something that you and I might find despicable? How can we have a relationship with those folks? Guys, the way you do is not translate love to them. Transfer it. Explain not to them that they are loved by God only, but show that they are loved. And guys, listen, there's a great line that is walked here of whether you say, I'm compromising God's unfailing and unfathomable word, or I'm going ahead and saying, I loved you, and I'm praying that God will go ahead and show you that my love does not mean I accept your sin. It means I accept, listen to me, I accept you the way God accepts you. He is working to change every single person in this room this morning. He is working to change you to become like Him, not to become like a Baptist. The deadliest thing you could ever become is a church member. God wants you to become a Christ follower. He wants you to go ahead and learn that you are loved. And that love is transferred from one another to each other. There's a great verse that talks about this in 1 John 3.16. It says, this is how we know what real love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So we imitate what Jesus is doing. Our love that God had for us, we go ahead and lay down our lives. We put aside what we think about something in order to love people that are unlovable. You want to have a healthy relationship? Love the unlovable people that are in your life. Pray for the unlovable people. And thank God for them as well. Do you know this guy? Do you know who he is? Who is that? George W. Bush. Um, president, former President of the United States. Share with you a couple of things about George W. Bush. He grew up in a family that went to church every single Sunday. They worked hard. He had brothers that uh, he played, played with, uh, ran around with. It was an idyllic kind of, of upbringing. He was in a family that was very well-to-do. And going to church, he simply said he endured it. He would sit in the pew and he would go, when is the guy going to be finished up there? When is the guy done? And as soon as the, as the last prayer was said and the last hymn that was sung, he hit the doors and he would race outside and he would go about his life for another week. Religion to him had absolutely no value. He found himself later on shackled by addictions, failures, and false promises from people that he counted as being not only friends, but even family members. And then he did something extraordinary. He won the hand of a wonderful, wonderful girl who, oh, by the way, happened to be a graduate of Southern Methodist University, and her name was Laura. And he married her. And she was an uncompromising Christ follower. And she prayed for him. And she and one other friend, who was a great friend of George Bush's, who was a believer, continued to pray for him through all of the addictions, through all of the failures, through all the false promises, until the place that, as he said in his own words, God began to go ahead 
and change his heart. He's the only president in our recent history that has stood in a national speech and said, the hope that Jesus Christ gave me in finding me and bringing me to him changed my life. How did that happen? Because he had a relationship with the person who was a Christ follower that thanked God for him, prayed for him, and loved him until the time that he came to know him. Folks, you want a healthy relationship and how to grow one? Thank God for the people that are in your life. Pray for them and love them like Jesus does. And that relationship will begin to honor and glorify God. Pray with me. This morning, Father, there may be folks that are here that would say, you know, I, I need a relationship that is with you. I don't need another church service. I need a relationship that I can give thanks to you for people in my life. I need a relationship that I can go ahead and say, God, I'll learn how to pray for folks that aren't like me and don't look like me or act like me. And lastly, Lord, I need to go ahead and find a relationship where I can love folks the way that you love me. And that starts by having a relationship with you. God, if there is a place right now in someone's heart that is here today where they need to say, I want Christ to come and become my God and my Lord, this is that time and place. Father, I pray that that relationship will be started and extended here this morning. Father, if there's a relationship that needs to be healed, I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will work right now in our mind to bring that person's name and face to the front. And before this day is over, we will call that person. We'll go by and see that person face to face. If not that, Lord, use whatever communication device is possible for you to go ahead and help us begin the road to a healthy relationship in the midst of an unhealthy and fallen world. This time is yours, Lord. You walk with us and you call us by name to change. And that change has to be one we go ahead and agree with right now. So I pray our hearts will be in agreement with you. And if there's a decision that needs to be made, this time right now will honor you in it. We pray these things, Lord, not for our sake, but for yours. And we pray this in the name of the wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Stand together, church. God's speaking to you about a decision to be made. I'll be here at our altar area. During this song, you simply slip out. You come as God leads.